Welcome to the Calibre podcast, brought to you by the Watchers of Switzerland Group. In this episode, Mike Christensen, European Lifestyle Editor for GQ magazine, and Mark Tolson, Global Head of Watch Buying for the Watchers of Switzerland Group, explore travel watches fit for the land, sea and air, the perfect companions for every type of traveller. Discover a wide range of luxury watch models and collections, including GMTs, chronographs, dive watches and pilot's watches. Welcome to the latest Calibre podcast, a series of podcasts bringing you news, views and opinion from the world of watches. Um, my name is Mark Tolson. I'm head of watch buying for the Watches of Switzerland Group, um, and I'm incredibly privileged to be so. Um, today, I'm joined by Mike Christensen, the European lifestyle editor of GQ. Welcome, Mike. Thanks very much for having me, Mark. Um, great to be on. Great to be on. Very, very, uh, very lovely to meet you, and thank you for giving us your time today. So, um, so. European lifestyle editor of GQ. Can you tell us something about that and how you arrive there? I mean, it sounds like an incredible job. European lifestyle, yeah. Some people always sort of start off like European lifestyle, you're sort of in charge of kind of um, sausage, you sort of Spanish sausage or those kind of things. But no, European lifestyle. Um, I've been at GQ for about um, seven, eight years now. Um, started off in GQ Australia, over in Australia, GQ Australia, um, whereas um, editor over there, which was a real privilege. So yeah, so come back. Um, back to the UK and um, as you can hear I'm quite British um, and um, yeah back in the UK and just um, back working with um, the team British UQ team um, as of earlier this year um, looking after watches cars um, and health and fitness so three things that I'm extremely passionate about um, I think you know with with my watch, my watch journey uh, picked up, um, you know, watches um, over in Australia when I was um, GQ watch, GQ's watch editor over there from I think about seven, eight years ago. So I've had a fair few, um, fair few Basel World and um, SIHHs now, watches and wonders, obviously, and Geneva Watch Days actually, um, which has been good. So yeah, and I've got. Um, I guess it's been it's been a, a really a real privilege privilege to 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 take i guess um a, a men's lifestyle title um and 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 work out what the you know what are what we're all about with watches and where we, what the direction i guess we can take and how we can get more um gq readers um into watches i think um obviously you know there's there's the houdinkies there's the time and tides actually who i had the pleasure of working with um actually for a bit with time and tide and there's fratellos obviously we know um, you know they are the watch authorities, so I guess it's all—it's really interesting to see what GQ brings to that table and how we make sure that we're our, our own authority within the watch world. So, um, and I guess you know that's where lifestyle comes in, isn't it? Um, going coming back to the question you asked, about European lifestyle. Um, so I guess yeah, I'm very fortunate enough to be working across um, GQ and working very closely with um, all of the different different um, GQ markets, specifically within within Australia, um, within the, uh, Europe. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where where I'm at. Amazing. I could talk about that for quite some time, for some time. But I mean, just very briefly, is is there are there, are there quite dramatic differences between Italy and England, or or you know Spain and Germany. Yeah, I mean, I guess certainly in terms of um, interests and um, you know what what's popular in certain certain markets. Um, you know, obviously uh, Tag Heuer's and your, your Breitlings, um, you know, in- extremely popular um, throughout 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 Europe. Um, Amiga as well, obviously, and I guess IWC is another one. Um, obviously, you've got Rolex and Patek as well. But yeah, there's there's definitely um, it's interesting. It is interesting to see. Um, I guess who's peaked, uh, which which brands sort of peak certain interests. Longines, for example, is really big in big in Germany as well. So, yeah, it's a, it's certainly an interesting um, an interesting one, and and obviously working closer with all of the uh, European um, editor, editors and watch editors is, is is great to sort of pick up that kind of intel. And I think that even more so now, you know, the first one obviously watching the wonders back first fair back in a while, catching up with um, my uh, European colleague, colleagues was was great to sort of see what really piques their interest and and uh, in, in in comparison to myself. Yeah, fascinating. So yeah, fascinating of that sort of broad broad uh, spectrum of, uh, of of insight across different markets. Yeah, it, it's really and it's really it's really exciting. I guess you know, as I said, I've been at GQ for a while, and um, you know, never have we been closer together um, um, across across from a global perspective. You know, there are I think there's 21. 21 GQs in the world, and we're all working on the same page uh, under under Will Welsh, um, who's the global director, 
um, a global editorial director, and you know the GQ's um, British editor, I guess, is um, Adam Badawi, who w- was over in um, GQ Middle East. Obviously, they've got even even more interesting stories with from their watch perspective. Um, so yeah, working very closely together um, as a as a unit. Um, you know, there's so many, we can't have enough Slack channels these days and, and <laughs> we have so many across the board to to make sure that we are working um, as one for GQ. So, um, and that's, you know, that's really shown, showing in, I guess, the watch content that we are we are producing and we are sort of um, creating. And yeah, so, you know, right up to the fact that, you know, we're working on our, our annual GQ watch supplement at the moment and, you know, I'm collaborating with, um, Germany and Spain, um, in terms of what they're what they're looking at, and yeah, it's, it's a it's the system is working, which is great. It's it's new, it's relatively new in terms of how we're working, but there's not really any other title we're fortunate enough to have um, the point of view and a perspective within, uh, you know, right, right across the world globally. So yeah, it's a great it's a great opportunity, great position to be in, and I'm very fortunate, as as you said so yourself. You you know you you love what you're doing, and I'm I'm very very pleased to be doing what I'm doing. Wonderful, great. Well, we'll look out for the watch supplement. That's always a always a great read. Um, okay, so uh, delving into the podcast. So, um, so land, sea, and air watches that are sort of fit for travel. It's, I guess, watches for the uh, for the for the modern day adventurer, perhaps, or the or maybe from a, a lifestyle point of view, the wannabe adventurer, maybe. Um, but but I, I guess um, the sort of watches that we know as as tool watches, chronographs, and uh, watches with functions, stopwatches, diving watches, um, that sort of thing. They have their roots really in the in the sort of 1950s kind of post-war, um, post-war, I guess, uh, sort of revolution in technology. Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, like fit for travel. You know, we're actually able to travel again. We've obviously had our, we've had our, our uh, collection of watches just kind of sat there a couple of last couple of years. Nowhere, nowhere to go, nowhere to dive, nowhere to be on a plane so it's quite um i think what's quite funny and interesting about that is um i feel like you know that that moment of not being able to travel there's the sort of the functionality of these watches and our watches and within our collection becomes even more almost even more apparent like you know we're there um seeing actually what they what they can can and can't do and what they would would have done in the past i think that's quite um i've certainly noticed that um in within my collection um i'm wearing a a nice Doxa, Doxa sub two hundred today, and um, you know, just to seeing the, seeing what actually what you know what it's meant to be doing when uh, we, we're not able to dive in dive into a, an ocean or something. Um, uh, it's, it's quite a quite a, quite an entertaining point. Something which is kind of um, I've spoken to quite a few people about and re- over recently, um, just understanding and appreciating, I guess, exactly what um, their watches were were made you know made to do. Um, I mean. Yeah, so 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 let let's sort of explore that, and I guess if we, we maybe start to focus on um, on on well, we will loosely call it land watches, but it's probably chronographs and and kind of adventure watches. So um, uh, I mean, chronographs are a stopwatch, basically, um, aren't they? And it's, it's a that's a you would you'd argue it's a really useful function, which which I guess it is. Yeah, no, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, and I think um, you know the. The I don't want to say the return of the chronograph, but it's it certainly feels like um, more and more people, younger generations, are really getting an understanding, and appreciating exactly what their chronographs are, what their functionalities are, and what kind of they what they can can do outside of obviously just the mere as beautiful aesthetics of these pieces. Um, and you know, by and large, you can there's a, a decent amount of um, chronographs which are kind of dare I say it, uh, more of an entry level for. For, for people to get into, I mean, what's what would you say is your was your go on? I'll put you on the spot. What's your favorite favorite chronograph? Oh lord, um, I I, um, I am actually partial to an Amiga Speedmaster. I mean, the romance and the stories with with watches are, are always kind of uh, you know lot long um, and and fascinating to me. But obviously that the the, the Speedmaster as a as a as a great history. I mean, from the 1957. Um, it was the first watch with a tachymeter bezel, uh, so that was that was significant um, in itself. And then you've got the whole moon story, you know, the uh, 1969, the 1970, 14-second burn on Apollo 13, all of that stuff. 100%. I mean, we share we share similar tastes, Mark, because I think um, yeah, Speedmaster for me is just is one of those one of those absolute absolute classics. It's such a 
you know, we talk about storytelling, um, you know, and I guess there's, there's sort of an element of luck to um, certain stories in terms of how how they come about. But you know, obviously, with the with the being the first watch on the moon um, is is quite something. I did actually have the opportunity through GQ actually to interview uh, Charlie Duke, who's one of um, one of the astronauts, yeah, who's who's been been to space. And I just remember, um, you know, I remember talking to him about the the moment where he kind of whilst wearing his speedmaster turned around and just looked out the window and there's earth just hurtling away from it and like you know those to to um for for a watch brand to have the opportunity to tell that story um is really quite remarkable if you think about who that you know this is that that was what nearly 50, uh, 53 years ago i think it was 69 69 when it happened first one so you know to for people um you know in their 20s their 30s teenagers you know getting into watches to, right now late teenagers like just to not maybe you wouldn't necessarily know about those kind of stories or know completely like the detail of them so for to have like a uh you know for a watch brand to be able to authentically tell that story um i mean i mean it's like how else would you from a you know how else would you come across that story unless you were kind of googling at like literally having to google that's what you know what i mean so i think that's what's really interesting about bringing bringing to life these kind of these these stories and and bringing to life, therefore, um, as a sort of byproduct, exactly what the functionality of these of um, certain watches are. And and, and interesting, you, you mentioned about sort of sort of younger people's and appreciation of watches. Um, Amiga did get a little bit playful with it recently, didn't they? In terms of in, in terms of uh, associating it with their with their younger sibling Swatch. I uh, I appreciate your use of the term slightly playful. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's definitely um, definitely one way of putting it. I was actually very fortunate enough to um, be one of the uh, first journalists actually to go out to to Switzerland um, and meet um, Mr. Hack um, himself and with with Reynold as well and um, Gregory Kissing Kissling. Um, from Amiga to to see the moon swatch. We're talking about the moon swatch. We, mm. we, we should make that yes, point. Yes, we're talking about the moon swatch. The, yeah, yeah, the exactly. Yeah. The, so the, the Amiga, master, yeah. the Amiga um, swatch swatch collaboration. Yeah, I was able to, and and being there um, with RJ actually from Fratello as well, like um, and a few other a few other journalists, one from Time and Tide, being there at that moment, we had no idea what was going on. Literally, it was the day, um, if anyone can recall, when the first ads had gone out on all the different newspapers and it was kind of like what's going on here and um you know we all sort of walked into this pristine room with um what would, we, what would have been how many colors are there 11 11 colors uh, yeah 11 sort of boards with like which were ready to be turned around and just obviously a big picture of the universe and stuff like that and you're just like what is going on and yeah so to be part of that um part of that journey and to see those see them without having any kind of um preconceived ideas um was really quite special actually and and you know straight away we were like this is you know obviously there's there's i think the fact that um they had gregory kissling so involved who's the um head i think he's a head design head of design um with amiga so for him to be so crucially and so fundamentally involved in this project really showed um how you know how impressive and how great it is for i think uh, making Amiga um, Speedmasters even more relevant and relatable to and accessible. That's the, the big, the big thing is it's like, you know, you can for 200 things, 207 pounds, you can get um, essentially a Speedmaster on, on your, on your wrist. And that is, that is no mean feat in terms of understanding. It goes back to the storytelling for people to then think about, Oh, hang on a minute. There's, there's a, there's a watch that looks like this that went to the moon it was the first watch to go to the moon. And then, yeah. So I think, you know, re, re going back to what, what where I said the, the power of the storytelling that can happen through through a watch brand um, is really is really quite um, quite new, quite unique I'd say and and the whole the whole buzz around that I mean I, it was on the news wasn't it? literally the the queues outside the boot uh, the the store in Carnaby Street I think it is you know that it was it was oh, say miles long it was you know yards meters long it was really really incredible I think I think cumulatively over the last three months or whatever it would be a, a certain hundreds of miles I think that queue. Because it's just not, you know, it's not, it's not stopped. The hype, the hype is real, and the hype, you know, the hype was is justified. Like it's a, it's a brilliant, um, 
piece of um, marketing and a brilliant brilliant product and you know fair play to everyone everyone kind of involved it was quite funny it was it was because it was a couple of weeks before watches and wonders and um mr hyak himself he sort of made this quite cheeky line when we when we when we spoke with him he's like yes well you know enjoy the next couple of weeks when you're at watches and wonders um they can bring the watches we've brought the wonders and i was like that's, <laughs> that's a good line that's yeah, a good that's line good <laughs> and uh, i saw i looked over and saw uh, you know reynold was like um who's the obviously ceo amiga he was like that's my boss that's my boss <laughs> <laughs> Which Amazing. Was great. yeah it was Amazing. good it was good but yeah um I, and uh, i mean i, I guess um I mean, another icon, really, with uh, with, with Krongas. We, we, we probably should mention it's one of the hardest watches to get. He's obviously Rolex and the, and the Daytona, um, which named after the Daytona Raceway in Florida from uh, 1962. Um, and that's got legendary status backed by um, by Paul Newman um, or associated with. Yeah, I mean, you know, however you want to, however you want to um, translate, you know, whether it's GOAT status, you know, iconic status, you know, that it's a... Uh, yeah there's no, there's not really nothing really comes close to i guess where a detainer sits really in, in that sense and i think um you know it's it's kind of a it's a dream to have um a detainer on your on your wrist and you know anytime i have been fortunate enough to go to some of the um the, the watch shows and see of you know rolex dare i say it i'm you know, probably get told off for saying this but Rolex is always the one where you're like well, what have they got what have they got what's what are the new novelties and it's and um you know the the, the what i love about i guess with, with Rolex is that you know the incremental difference um the incremental changes that they can they can bring to bring to the table and bring each uh, year in and out um, it's as exciting as like a whole new you know different color colorway whatever you want to say like i think that's what's so what's so brilliant about um where Rolex is at and again comes back to um as you mentioned you know having the likes of iconic likes of um Paul Newman to just to, to throw back to just just brings brings those brings that storytelling um right to the forefront I mean it really does and so um so you know chronographs um they still have uh, you know massive re- relevance today uh, from simply the timing aspect anything you'd want to time from an egg to your parking to a race literally what what they were originally designed for um and i know we mentioned obviously the um they mentioned the daytona which is 11,600 pounds and and the uh, and, and the the speedmaster as well but um i mean from some of the watches we sell you can get into a, a tag formula 1 chrono for around 1400 pounds and it's a great watch yeah my first ever my first ever watch was um an f1 a tag one f1 um and exactly that you say um it's one of those i've still still got it i've still got it it's um probably probably one that i'm I'm looking forward to passing down to my son. Actually, he's only four, so he's got a while to have it. But it's one of those things, you know. It was given to me by my father, who was really into Formula One. Um, yeah, so it has like a sort of special meaning, special special meaning there. But yeah, I, I mean, you you uh, you were talking about just going back to what you said, chronographs. What we use them. I've actually been. That's one of the ways I've been getting my kids into our watches by show, showcasing them how you know how the chronographs work. And they're like, okay, what? How can we? How can we entertain them for the next hour or the next at least the next five minutes? It's like, well, let's do a race or let's do something. It's like, wait, wait, wow, daddy, that's good. That button does that. What? That's brilliant. So again, sounds like pretty sort of primitive at the same time. You know, these things are, I think, you know, that and also showing showing them loom under the bed is uh, under the under the bed bed sheets is pretty, pretty fun to get to get people um, to get them stoked about watches age four and six. So yeah. Do you do you have a UV light torch? I do. I do. Yeah. 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 So do I as well. It's, it's pretty sad actually, but, <laughs> okay. but I, yeah, I, I, I love all that stuff. To, any, to anyone out to anyone out there listening, if you've got a UV torch, you know, shout out to them for sure. Yeah. yeah exactly that. Exactly that. Oh, there's, Lord. there's a crew, so, there's a crew of us. <laughs> there is indeed. Um, so that in, in terms of land, that that's probably the sort of chronography aspect of it taken care of but then the other ones uh, that we we talk about quite often are um are kind of field watches and watches for adventurers things uh, and we come back to rolex again as as most things inevitably lead to rolex in in many cases um things like the rolex explorer um and i guess those sort of watches are characterized by you know clear dials loom legible legible timekeeping 
tough, tough looking watches. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And from a, from a style point of view, I think a lot of people love um, that category of watch because, because of the clarity of the, of the pieces, you know, there's sort of a lot slightly more simple, um, you know, it goes with, it goes with, dare I say, it goes with more outfits, goes with, you know, it's more, people can wear it to, they can wear it for everything really. So that, that's certainly something which um, taking away like actually their functionality, which is, I guess, quite uh, relatively slightly more simple than, than um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that, that that is a way in which people can see, can, can choose a watch um, and think just purely on aesthetics, I think, if that makes sense, which I think, I think, um, you know, we, we must admit, um, a lot of people do 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 though. Um, obviously, brand brand um, associations are key, but when it comes to the aesthetics of the aesthetics of a watch, um, it's, it's obviously very important. And you know, whilst obviously the, it's not to take anything away from the, the incredible craftsmanship that come, goes into making these pieces, um, you know, I think sometimes um, that can be um, almost secondary to to people buying a watch they can see. And that, again, that's the beauty of, 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 of having and buying and investing in a watch is that afterwards, once you've got it, you start to, you can start to learn and appreciate and understand even more so um, exactly what the, the capabilities are um, of, of this piece of piece of, um, of artwork on your on your wrist. Indeed, yeah, uh, and, and obviously the the Explorer's fame for being the, uh, the the watch that went up Everest first time in what 50, 52, 53, 53, I think, yeah, nineteen fifty three. Um, uh, so, so that's again another romance, another his, historical historical angle. There's so many of them, and it's so it is so brilliant. It's very interesting to see how different brands, um, I guess, uh, not tackle, but different brands. Um, utilize these stories um in, in order to be able to tell uh, you know tell people more about um these these watches um so i find that really interesting to see especially when you've got sort of anniversaries as well um that come up um you know you know what george george kern's thing you're doing versus um you know what frederick um frederick arno is thinking um is yeah oh no sorry oh no, yeah so it's, it's always quite quite interesting yeah in, indeed um and, and uh, again I, I guess a, a sort of uh, slightly more accessible um, uh, field watch is, is something from Bremont like the broadsword they brought out in association with it with the, with the forces again clear dial uh, Arabic numerals you know sub seconds dial big broad hands so that's I think they they did a bronze case when it was just under three thousand pounds looked really really great yeah super watch yeah mm -hmm. it's brilliant it's brilliant I mean it, go, it goes without saying obviously you know, British GQ was so chuffed to see. Um, I guess um, this is not not a tangent, but you know, obviously see the the the, the brilliant um, work that's going on within the within the British uh, watchmaking. Um, and you know, obviously Bremont have been brilliant at, at, at flying flying that flag. And um, it's great to see. I'm not sure if you've been to the wing, but um, it's quite quite. A, the wing is just for readers. I guess the wing is where is where the Bremont of manufacturing their pretty much a lot of, uh, I don't want to say a percentage, but a lot of the um, parts and complications within within their watches and um, based in Henley. Um, and yeah, like going there, it was um, first time I went there, it was, it was literally like being um, sort of trans, trans, transformed to over to, um, it's like a time machine over to Switzerland. So I'm like, what? This is in, this is in Henley, like half an yeah. hour from my house. And <laughs> this is, this is happening here um yeah and so obviously you know to see as you you, you know mentioned that that piece specifically um as a tool watch it's, it's great to see and uh, it's just it's even more mind-blowing to see that it's actually being created um predominantly on, on yes yeah, bringing watch making back to uh back to britain it's, uh, it's an incredible job they're doing uh, the lovely guys and everything it's a, it's, a, it's a great story um so, so we'll, we'll, we've done land. We'll take a we'll take a dive into the sea. Oh God, that's a, a terrible. Uh, oh, I see what you've done there, Mark. Really, really done that. Please, you, you did it. You did it before I did. I probably would have gone. I would have got. I might have gone deep dive. I might have gone deep dive. There's still time. Don't worry. Um, so, um, <laughs> so I mean, diving watches. It's uh, pretty self-explanatory, really. I mean, there are certain um, certain characteristics there, like. Uh, well, I mean, they're covered by an ISO standard 6425, which covers things as like a hundred meter, minimum 100 meters water resistant, the legibility over uh, at, at a certain uh, certain measurement, rotating bezel, durable strap. But um, again, I mean, I guess 
the water resistancy thing with watches really started probably in, in 1926 with uh, with Rolex again and Hans Wilsdorf. But watches and water, you know, with Panerai, with uh, with Blancpain, there's, a, the, again, great stories there um, in, that, in that whole dive watch thing. I think what's really um, interesting with, with dive watches is that they're, you know, everyone loves to, and this might not pick up on the sound, but you love to sort of fiddle with, Fiddle with your watch, fiddle with the you know, twist the twist the bezel around, and then all of a sudden you're thinking like, oh, actually, this is there's a reason why this is this is here. Like, you know, 99% of us um, who own a dive watch are probably not using it to dive. I mean, anyone that's diving down to 6,000 meters after with the new Amiga watch is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure the ultra is it ultra ultra, ultra, ultra deep, deep. Ultra yeah. deep yeah. yeah ultra deep I'm not sure I'm not sure how many people I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest doing that he probably wouldn't be able to given the uh, the, the world record is about x hundred meters but just the the functionality there is is quite it's quite interesting people do I don't know it, it certainly sort of resonates a bit a bit more to people and I, well at the same time there is obviously it's quite funny to see. And there has been obviously this kind of slight jostling of position of like who can which you know who can dive deeper. You mentioned obviously Rings was the OG, but like um, you know the the levels that um, these watches can or the depths I should say that these these watches can go to. Um, it's quite a, it's always quite a funny sort of I find it quite an entertaining sort of narrative to who's okay who's going uh, who's going to side point, but it's a bit like with the with Bulgari and their sort of thinnest. Versus, versus Piaget like it's quite an interesting thing to see like who can go further who can go deeper who can go thinner so I think those even just those kind of narratives do sort of pick pick up and people do um you know it's almost like a dare I say it, like PR around PR around you know PR ability around around certain certain models which is quite quite fun to to, to be a part of um and and as a byproduct of that people do actually kind of end up thinking like yeah this 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 is a dive watch from a diver's watch but I'm not doing much diving in it, but I I can appreciate what it's there for, sort of thing. Yeah, I mean we we, we call them desk divers because <laughs> you know you 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 sit at your desk and the only time the watch gets wet is when you wash your hands or you know that that sort of that sort of thing. But um, but uh, but the um, and you mentioned you mentioned about the bezel and all of those things are, are designed um, you know to to save your life back in the nineteen fifties. I mean when when it was being developed by by Blancpain etc. Um, you know the 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 bezel was would is unidirectional it would only rotate one way and that would be to shorten your dive because your aqualung was i don't know 15 20 minutes which is which is why the scale between 12 and and, and three is, is is more pronounced than the rest of it that's your 15 minutes and you rotate it one way and if you knock it yeah it only shortens your dive so the whole functionality thing is is there to save your life I don't think people necessarily care these days, but that's the history. You know? No, I think, well, I think, I, I don't know what I, and maybe this is just me getting a bit older, but I, I do think that there recently, you know, more people are that, you know, there's a bit more of a, the, the younger generation, they, and in terms of, you know, you know, GQ plays a big part in terms of trying to, and I guess you do as well in terms of watches and Twitter as well, in terms of um, shaping consumer habits and stuff like that. And I do think like these kind of things are important to a younger gen- a younger demographic. They, they, they do feel like, you know, what is the, why is this useful? It's not just, um, I don't know, there's not, there's just a bit more sort of substance to, I think, to, to consumer habits these days. And, and, you know, that can go into sustainability as a whole different thing, but like those kind of things, it's a, they're examples of how um, the consumer want to make sure that they actually do what, whatever they, they're buying. Um, they actually understand and appreciate exactly what they can do, even if they're not going to dive. Um, if they are going to be, as you as you coined desk divers, I'm saying you coined. I'm not sure if you were the. I'm not sure if you. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the owner of that. <laughs> In fact, I own. I own very little of what I say. But there we go. <laughs> but, but yeah, desk dive. I think it's, I think it's an apt term, really. Um, I mean, I I love dive watchers, and I can't remember the last time I swam. You know, but I, I actually just love the, the whole aesthetic, the clarity of the dial, and I like fiddling with the bezel. And, yeah, yeah. Clarity of the dial, and, and I, I'm, I think I mentioned I'm wearing a Doxa Sub 200, and that is my kind of go-to travel watch for sure. Like you know, I I um. I love to be in the water as much as possible and surf and swim, whatever. So wherever I can have the opportunity, I will jump in the water. So having a watch like a Doxa Sub 200 is, is a, it for me, you know, is 
just works because you know I know that there's I never I don't I'm not going to be worried about it you know anything going on with it it's got a obviously sub 200 says it in the title um, yeah, so indeed, I'm, not going, yeah. I'm not going yeah. any any deeper than that so yeah it's um it's and it's a turquoise dial actually incidentally which I'm which I'm quite a big fan of so yeah it's, it's a mixture for me it's a mixture of that is it is um important that it's a dive watch thing so I can get in the water and, and etc and use it in water obviously at the same time being a turquoise dial I've gone for an aesthetic which is um interesting to me and um, I'm, I'm a big fan of so it's kind of a the marriage of um, aesthetic and functionality there, just right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, say it's, it's, it's kind of the Tiffany dial colour every raves raves about these days, and and Doctor yes. have got that that history with uh, with dive watches and developing the the helium escape valve in what nineteen sixty seven with with Rolex. So they've again they've got the they've got the legitimacy there and and, and the sort of truth about the whole what's the point of a dive watch. Um, yeah, I mean, I must admit, they I do get a few people that sort of see my wrist and like, is that, yeah. <laughs> is that yeah. Tiffany what no no no, no, no even better yeah, it's even better color before <laughs> before exactly yeah so so yeah I mean so that's obviously one of your with your favorite dive watchers um, I guess you say it's your go-to holiday watch yeah yeah definitely I would say I mean I'm also um big fan of super oceans yes ah uh, yeah yeah um mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, big fan of super oceans. Um, I'm a big fan of, as I said, I mentioned, I'm a bit of a surfer, and you know, I quite like what um, George has done with the sort of surf squad and the squads sort of situation. If we're going back to the ideas around, um, you know, how we're making, um, how we're yeah, getting a wider, wider demographic into a wider audience um, in front of watches and brightening watches, so to speak, with with, with George. But yeah, the super ocean, obviously. Um, I know Kelly Slater. Um, who's an absolute legend of legendary surfer and he's, I think he's, he's, he's over 50 he's still winning tournament which is unbelievable so there's like a, the longevity and the uh, the longevity of him versus the longevity of the super ocean combined quite a quite a um, quite a, quite a decent um, combination um, but yeah I think um, I know they've collabed on a few a few pieces and it's kind of you know to me, you could see the super ocean as being, you know, the ultimate, really the ultimate watch in terms of function design and supreme quality, really. So, um, you know, again, like the different um, sizings, obviously, I think there's a popular, the, one of the most popular is the 36, but then you've also got the 44 and the 46 models. Um, yeah, so just sort of the, the range there is is um, is there as well. It really is, and you you mentioned Kelly Slater and the whole outer known thing, and 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 I think the ocean and 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 um, diving watches, lots of brands kind of use it, or particularly using it these days as a as a vehicle to express their sustainability credentials. So you would be using, uh, you know, plastic bottles and and fishing nets to make straps, and it, it's it's all interesting stuff and good stuff and uh, worthy. I think. Yeah, it's brilliant. Like you know, everyone from you know obviously. Um, Blancpain, Oris, um, all sorts of, yeah, um, as you mentioned, obviously, um, the straps th- made through Artenone, which is um, Kelly Slater's fashion um, label. Um, yeah, so no, there's, it's a good opportunity, again, we, we did actually touch on sustainability, but it's a good opportunity to showcase, you know, just what the messaging that um, watch brands can be sort of, can be putting out. And, um, you know, I think the, the authenticity um, of these messaging is, you know, goes with the, the history of these of these brands and how long they've been making these dive watches for. Like they can and should be um, heroes of the ocean and, and, and rightly so. So, yeah, particularly, I guess, uh, you know, I, um, I love what um, Ron Pan do with that. I can't remember the name of it, but the, their photography. Oh, yeah. The Ocean of Commitments, but also their yeah. photography mm-hmm. awards. Um, it's just a lovely mm-hmm. way of, um, you know, showcasing and a collaboration, a partnership to to show, um, uh, yeah, different side to where watch watch what watch brands can be involved in. Yeah, and and oh, I mean, it's it's worth it's worth mentioning again. You mentioned about the uh, Amiga uh, Planet Ocean Ultra D, which um, I mean, at the time we're recording this, that that's only been out maybe two months or something, but um, it's six thousand meters, twenty thousand feet, and as you said, nobody's going to be diving to that, and and you do slightly wonder why but it's because they can and it expresses the whole the whole sort of spirit of adventure and, and, and technology isn't it making something that can withstand 
that sort of condition. Totally, totally. I think I think you know I've been fortunate enough to go I've been at um, uh, Tudor HQ and so going through the the cost certified and understanding and appreciating exactly like how that kind of works and seeing like all the machinery around it. Um, but like yeah, going back to I guess with Amiga, like it just it does really show the um like how incredible the ability to to for these pieces are to withstand you know no one knows can understand and appreciate the pressure that is that um yes anything would be subjected to three thousand meters below sea level so um uh, you know i'm pretty sure i don't quote me on this but you know no you wouldn't want to go into one of those no. machines <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't. <laughs> exactly <laughs> so yeah it's kind of like it, it is whilst you know to certain to, to certain to the naked eye it's just like oh it's just another watch um it really isn't and i think it really is testament to um the designers and the the people behind um this technology to, to really it's, it's really quite incredible to see that uh, a piece is able to survive and and and, and function um, that far below sea level. So yeah, a, bit, a big shout out to them. Congrats to them on that. Um, however, however much it, you you know you can laugh about the, I'm not sure. Like, um, not sure. To the, I think I think when it came out, actually, there was like, I can't remember the name. But I think it was Endeavour. There was a ship that had literally just been found, um, and I think it was like five thousand seven hundred you know meters below sea level and i was like well you know the amiga watch could have gone lower so <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah in, indeed indeed yeah um, yeah but yeah um and, and so um well coming to the surface we can talk about um air watches uh, pilots watches and um i mean i i guess uh i mean again coming back to the stories the first Arguably, the first wristwatch for men was probably a pilot's watch. Probably uh, Alberto Santos Dumont in Cartier. I mean, that was that's the, that's kind of the whole story there because traditionally men used to wear pocket watches. And um, Louis Cartier had a friend, a Brazilian aviator, who uh, who wanted to uh, to have a watch that he could see quickly without taking it out of his pocket. Out of his pocket. So um, wristwatches are traditionally women's watches, and and and. Um, and uh, Cartier designed something for 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 Santos Dumont, um, and so maybe that's the first watch. First watch for men was really a, a pilot's watch, which is slightly curious. Yeah, it's very curious, and it's interesting to see. I guess um, you know now in present day, um, you know Cartier have got so many interesting collaborations and, and partnerships. I guess with with whether it's Jake and Jake Gyllenhaal or Paul Mescal recently. So you don't necessarily. I know. I think obviously the tank, you know, for Cartier um, is now there, but it, it's quite great to see and, and to always sort of clock and make sure people understand and remember um, that it was it was um, it was Cartier there. Um, for, I can't, what was the year? Was it? It wasn't eighteen. Uh, Nineteen oh four. Nineteen oh four. That was it. Nineteen oh four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's uh, that's a long time ago, and so um, it, it and really certainly <laughs> yeah, 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 and it's set really set. Um, you know, I think pilots' watches is you know. They are there are so many of them, so many brilliant ones of them. We can, I guess, touch on a few, but it's um, we were very fortunate enough to such a simple um, association um, and via, and therefore association we've we've been able to kind of um, have these brilliant pieces in, in our lives now. Indeed, I mean, I mean, sort of stylistically and 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 going back into the past, into the thirties, forties, fifties, etc. I mean, again, they're characterised by by clear dials, oversized cases, because you had to get them over your flight suit when you when you're in the, flying in the nineteen forties. Um, they've normally got some sort of orientation triangle at twelve o'clock, so if you're upside down, you know where up is, kind of thing. Um, a big a big crown, which is the winding button, because when you're winding your watch with your flying gloves on, so um all 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 of those all of those things bezel markings slide rules um it's 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 um it's the functionality of them um that was useful in the same way that a diving bezel was useful is still carried through to those designs today 100% 100% and you don't have to have crucially you don't have to have a uh, flying gloves to be able to uh, <laughs> in this day and age now to be able to wear your you know IWC top gun whatever whatever it is but yeah it's again it, it just comes back to it. it's it's brilliant to take a moment and just see um what these particular um features for, um for a, for a pilot watch uh, what they actually were there for and I think you know sort of 
babbling along about it earlier, but like this idea of, you know, when we weren't able to travel just with our watches sort of sat in our collection, just to be able to see and observe and see actually for those who weren't necessarily as au fait with these kind of, with the with these stories and these histories, the history of these of these pieces and, and why, you know, hang on a minute, why is my crown like that? And just, you know, seeing the difference um, to, to, to raise greater awareness around that is um, something which I take quite a lot of pleasure out of um, and something which I think for us um, with with the content that we create with GQ like we you know we do want we do love to lead with uh, something which is lifestyle led or something which is culturally relevant to more people with the idea of um, you know there's a hook there and then the next thing you know they're of virus osmosis, they're learning and understanding and appreciating so much more around the functionalities of these watches, the features of what these watches and what they actually mean. So I think that's where, um, you know, we're talking about pilots, watches. obviously recently, I'd obviously Top Gun, Top Gun, one of the biggest yeah. films of bloody year, sorry, <laughs> sorry, of, the, of, of, the, of the year. Yes. Um, and to be able to see, um, yeah, to, just to be able to see them in the flesh, I think there was a couple of sightings actually in the actual film of some of the IWC uh, Top Gun pieces, pilots, big pilots watches. So um, it's just, it's a good relevance, a good way of um, of, of getting of, of, of a hook um, for people to then understand and appreciate more about these pieces. Yeah, and we certainly saw um, that kind of continuation of the, of the aesthetic being kind of brought up to date when we went to Watches and Wonders because um, they brought out the uh, IWC brought out their big pilots chrono uh, sort of their pilots chrono with in in the uh, in the pantones the woodland green and the lake Tahoe, which uh, were really really cool uh, right nine thousand they were and I think yeah they, I think my favorite was the Mojave yes the Mojave yeah, yeah. Desert actually mm-hmm. um, which I think was uh, I was very fortunate enough to. Um, speak with Lewis Hampton actually while, while we were there at Watchers and Wonders and I think I'm pretty sure he was wearing that, wearing that one um, but yeah it's uh, it was I think it was a really interesting um, what Chris has done um, Chris Granger Chris Granger has done with with that with that watch particularly and how they've collaborated with Pantone because um, I actually when I when I looked I think um when I first was talking about it, I accidentally said Panatoni, which I, I don't know what, it must have been a long day, but I was like, it's not Panatoni, it's not a collaboration with Panatoni, it's Pantone. Please, can we just make that make that right? Um, not, that I don't, not that I'm not partial to a bit of Pantone. Exactly. But um, no, um, Pantone's like, you know, the, the emotions that I guess that you, that that um, the colours kind of uh, create within within you and like um, what they kind of mean, um, Really, again, it's another thing which um, watch brands are doing a great thing of being able to tap into those, tap into that because you know, gone are the days where you just want to have a very well, you only want to have like a very classic standard dial. Like it's really great to be to be um, working with different, not not just dial actually. Let's just say obviously these pieces were the ones we're talking about specifically the case as well. But um, yeah, it's it's great to it's great to see them playing with that and and what. Brands playing with that and creative directors playing with that and seeing what else they can do to again just again it, it does come back to um exciting um engaging more more people and getting them more in, invested in watches but at the same time it's another opportunity for people who are into watches to have a, an opinion either way of um what they think about the kind of evolution of these of these pieces um and i think what's brilliant about uh piece like this uh, the collection i guess that we're talking about right now with the pilots watch uh, with the um the top gun is is that you know if this is just what they've done this year but it's not to say that it's like next next year you know do we see i think i know that there'll be some really much more classic pieces coming out and it's just the that's the opportunity they can have and i think that's where we've maybe watch watch the watch world is kind of evolving a bit more in terms of being able to kind of go up and down, fluctuate, and with their t- tastes and interests, and you know, a standard. Gone are the days of like there being like a standard. Here is your standard watch collection. You must have X, Y, and Z. Yes, you can say, as you know, as we've t- talked about, you can have a dress watch, a dress watch, you can have a diver's watch, you can have a, uh, a chronograph. But um, really, that's those kind of rules. Dare I say it? Rules and regulations, kind of. I'd like to say from a fashion style point of view um, that they're kind of by the by and sort of gone of those days. And now it's just, it's, it's exciting to sort of, you know, use watches as like a, an expression of your, 
of yourself. There you go. I've said it. I've said it. <laughs> I think you're right. I think some of that comes from um, perhaps the, uh, the the CEOs and the creative directors of, of brands are, are from a different de- generation than those that survived the quartz crisis. Perhaps you've also got um, the whole social media thing, and 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 are things Instagrammable? Uh, not that I'm really um, on Instagram that much. And I think I think in some cases you get that crystallization of of a classic looking watch with a, a modern twist and perhaps we see that with um, with George Kern's reinterpretation of the Navi Timer a 70 year old proper tool watch slide rule basically a wrist computer from the 1950s but it's 70 years old and they bring it out with some interesting dial colors that aren't just black or silver 100% I think what was your favorite moment I'd probably go with Partial to a pistachio ice cream, so I'd probably go with yep. that one. <laughs> that's, that was yeah, that's a really great looking watch on the brown strap. I mean, the, yeah. the, you know that whole collection. And, and it's wonderful. right to your point. It is exactly you know what, where, and what these watch CEOs um, are choosing to do. Obviously, it's interesting seeing the difference between, I guess, the, the independents versus um, those within within groups. But um, you know the other matches um, and the rich ones. But I think you know. As a whole, um, what's brilliant is that everyone is working together to ensure that more people are getting more invested and more interested in buying more watches. And I think um, you know everyone's challenging brands are challenging one another on a monthly basis, like to to you know what's, what have they got coming out? What have they got coming out? Oh, brilliant! What can we do here? And this is this is how we complement. I think that's the there's almost a bit of a slight shift in terms of. Yes, there's competition, but at the same time, everyone's kind of in the industry is kind of complementing one another um, um, within, you know, within within the industry. So it's it's an it's exciting time. And as you mentioned, you know, there's sort of some some brands who have got a I guess a slightly more youthful or younger younger um, CEOs. Um, obviously, this week was quite big with. Um, Moza collaborating with um, Undefeated, for example, to, to see that um, you know sneakerheads would not have would not have known what they've got coming from until um, they saw that be- that beauty um, popping popping on, as you say, popping on Instagram, popping on socials. Um, I was actually quite lucky to speak to um, Wes Lang, who's a previous GQ um, watch columnist and is a um, a, a LA uh, contemporary artist, and um, he was absolutely. You know, absolutely bowled over by that by that, by that collaboration. He loves obviously loves the um, loves Moser as a brand and, yeah. and uh-huh. yeah, exactly the, the streamliner. And, and I mean, uh-huh. I've been I've been I'd say actually I probably I actually once got lost in the dial of a, of a streamliner for a good couple of minutes yeah. um, <laughs> on a on a on a, a balcony in Geneva. <laughs> Well, I think there they can do that to you. They can. Dial, yes. Yeah, exactly. They can. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. seeing that, you know, seeing that, those kind of opportunities for collaboration there, um, again, mm-hmm. is is really interesting and, and only exciting for um, however however much of a traditionalist you can be. I think you have to appreciate and understand that this is taking these these kind of collaborations are taking watchmaking into a into a new place and a place which um, is you know. Backed by brilliant watchcraft, watchcraft, watchmaking, craft, mm-hmm. and craftsmanship, so it's um, it's it's a really exciting time to be. Um, I genuinely think it's one of the most exciting times to be to be part of the watch industry at the moment, actually. Um, which, which, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I would agree. And um, I mean, um, we'll come on to one of the one of the, perhaps one of the most exciting watches that we saw, watches and wonders. Um, but we'll, we'll set the scene by talking about uh, a little bit about the other side of pilot's watches, which is GMTs. Um, you know, so when the jet age started in the 1950s and, and Ro- uh, Rolex asked by Pan Am to create a watch for their transatlantic pilots and out comes the GMT with its iconic uh, red and blue bezel dubbed Pepsi by, by whoever. Um, and then we come to, we come to watches and wonders for, for a new twist on the, uh, on the on on that on that GMT style, and I don't think anybody saw that coming. I, I I I do not think anyone did see that coming. You're right. I mean, I am I am I am left-handed, but and I but I do I do wear my my watch on my on my left hand. But yeah, it was certainly um, 
certainly a conversation starter, I think, wasn't it? Certainly, it, it was. was um, yeah. I, I think I wouldn't. I don't want to say it was divisive, but um, it was certainly some. You know, some people were kind of like, "Oh, what am I, this is what's going on here." But um, I, I was, I was obviously always a big fan. I think anything that sparks a conversation for me um, within this within this sector and, and has obviously um, the substance and style to back to, to back it up is um, is is going to be a winner for me. So um, I'm pleased to see. Um, I love the colorway as well. Yeah. Just chatting to green um, and black. Yeah, yeah, the green and black colorway. I mean, um, I know, you know, I actually spotted um, a bit of a watch spotter in my, my spare time. Well, not my spare time, but I saw Declan Rice, the England footballer, England international, wearing right. wearing yeah, one yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty straight uh-huh. off the bat, which is good. So he's obviously a fan. Um, um, but yeah, I think. I mean, what did you make of it? I, I was, I was, I think it's just a good, a good provocative way of. Um, generating more conversation around what's what's as you say an icon an icon uh, yeah well i i i agree with you so i mean yeah i mean just to just sort of clarify it was it was a, a, a gmt a rolex gmt with black and green uh, on the bezel and but the crown was on the on the nine o'clock side rather than the rather rather than the traditional three o'clock side um where most people wear watches on the left left hand or on the left wrist so this is effectively one to wear on your right wrist if you if you're left-handed um and um yeah i mean we we you know sort of alluded to earlier about you know rolex making small changes incremental changes um and, and just evolving the line and i mean it was quite a seismic shift you know i mean they've done um I think they've done left-handed watches before in the Cellini collection from in the 70s, but they're not known for it. Tudor have got form for a left-handed Pelagos. Panerai have got form for left-handed watches, but we didn't expect that from Rolex. And I, I thought it, I thought it was, thought it was great. Um, and I, I went down a whole kind of thing about, well, actually thinking about it, because I'm right-handed, I wear my watch on my left wrist, and I thought, well. Um, you tend to do that because if you're right-handed, you're using your right hand more, so you might damage. You know, use, you're wearing the watch in your left hand because it's the less used hand. But then sometimes the crown sticks in your in your in your wrist, and I thought, well, maybe I should be wearing a, a left-handed, you know, a left-handed crown watch on my right, yeah, on my on my left hand because the crown's then pointing at my arm. You know, I don't know. Um, Mark, what's it done to you? It's got you. Got yeah, you in all, yeah. It's got you in all sorts of problems. <laughs> it really, it really has. It's got, yeah. got you. Got, got you. Got, to think about. Questioning, questioning life there. But it's a, it's a, it's a funny point though. Like, but it, you know, you go ask the question why, and it's like you know, a simple, a very simple um, answer is why not? Like, <laughs> why not? And like, and and it's there is uh, you know, going back to it, there is as I said, there's style and substance behind it. There's functionality, obviously, behind it, which is very important. Um, it's just it just it makes sense and um it makes sense to it makes sense to enough people um for it to be sort of um validated not that in any way shape or form i imagine rolex are in any way looking for any kind of validation for it but but um but yeah no it's interesting but uh, on the um i guess another thing in terms of the gmt master which i thought was brilliant um the other day was uh, and to your point of just you know the relevance of of it still as as a as, a, as an absolute go-to is you know golf's number world number one scottish scheffler scheffler um wins the masters winning the masters and literally the thing that you see yes you see the green jacket yes you see him lifting the trophy but there's this root there gmt gmt um master two and everyone's like oh hang on a minute and that was you know that's prominence that's prominence there and it's just and it's again it just comes back to these pieces and people there's no way that someone what golf fans around the world wouldn't have been like oh what's he what watch is he wearing now because and again it's just another example of how um watch um you know watches are relevant and relatable in this day and age regardless um of whether they're you know land um sea or um air they're wherever the whatever the whatever their functionalities are there's there's always a way there's so many more ways in in this world for for, for um for them to be seen um and um that's only only a good thing and, and i i think um i mean one of the things several years back we we i wouldn't say we started to panic but we started to wonder about the advent of uh, of the apple watch and what sort of impact that might have on i would say proper watches that's probably the bad phrase but you, but you, you get the point what we see traditionally is watches but um and, and the functionality you would get from a, from an apple watch I mean, far surpasses, I guess, um, the talk, sort of watches that we, we, we've spoken about. But 
but they are still very relevant today. Uh, you know, the, your, your, your tool watch. And I think one of the things is because of the history, they have a personality and a longevity that an Apple Watch doesn't really have. 100%. They have an Apple, they have, a, a, as you say, that personality, that longevity, that history. Um, I, I think what's interesting, I don't think, I don't obviously don't work for Apple, but I don't, I don't think there was ever kind of like we're wanting to steal as many watches off other people's wrists or whatever. And I think that's the thing. Other thing, obviously, it's almost just like a bit of a sort of marketing sort of jargon of like the thought around it or the publicity around it. it's like, oh, you know, you're now not going to invest in as many um, luxury watches as, as you would have done because there's a, I don't even know how much a watch costs. What 200, 200 quid, three hundred quid, uh, three hundred pounds, but. Um, yeah, it's it's certainly yeah the, the the there was a worry there, but I think it's it's very easily very quickly been uh, sort of find out. I would say, um, and as you say, it comes back to this fact that of you know what a certain tool tool watches their capabilities and their functionalities, what they're for, and um, and you know we we shouldn't um, underestimate. I think in this day and age, the the importance and the uh, of um, of these kind of ambassadors, very carefully chosen ambassadors that um, certain brands choose choose to work alongside. I think we haven't actually mentioned someone like a, a Jacob Elordi, who is a you know star of the Euphoria and one of the most talked about shows out there. And you know he's there. He is love a massive fan of massive fan of um, a tag Hoya Monaco. Like it's been wearing it, wearing it on the circuit around all the different. Um, award ceremonies and red carpets and you know it's uh, you know this only couple of like, what, last month for uh, Monica Grand Prix he was announced as their new a, a new ambassador for them and it's those that is important like that that you know he's got x million followers there he's it's uh he, he's taking a vested interest and in, an authentic interest in in a, a piece and people his fans and his followers can see that because he's been wearing this you know this this um um, watch yeah Monaco prior to prior to this this arrangement so agreement so uh, yeah I think it's we can't can't underestimate that kind of um, the eyeballs so many more eyeballs available for us just to, for, for watches to be seen um, which I hope uh, you know is only coming bearing fruition to to you know to likes of you guys where you know you're seeing that you're seeing that people uh, a younger audience younger demographic are all all of a sudden flocking to the stores. To, uh, to to buy X Y and Z, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they, they are indeed. Fortunately, it, it's great. And and again, I think as you said uh, earlier, it's it's an incredibly vibrant time for watches. It's um, it, it's it's an incredible to be to be in the industry. Well, any time, but particularly now. I mean, there is so much going on, um, which is uh, which which is which is which is wonderful to see. Um, so I think. Um, I think that's that's where we are. Unless, uh, I mean, you mentioned you're wearing a, a Doxa, um, a Doxa Sub Two Hundred, and uh, and I don't know. Uh, do you have a favourite tool watch, excluding that one? Um, um, put me on the spot there. I think um, I think although I've already said I think that is my favourite, which is maybe you know a Doxa is maybe not as well known as um, other other brands, but certainly I kind of like that as well. Um, I think so. Um, I think whilst in terms of my and within my collection, I'm, I'm a big fan of Amiga Speedmasters. So, um, but I'm yes. yet, to, yet yeah. to yet to yet to get one. I've got actually one of the Moon watches, which is which is fortunate. So that's kind of and I, I went with the the one the Moon version, which is the truest to the Amiga yep. Speedmaster. The, yeah. So mm -hmm. um, that's um, that's definitely a piece that I love. But no, I think I think I'll be loyal to my my docs the sub two hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Great, great. Uh, well, I, I, ironically enough, I mean, obviously, I mentioned the Speedmaster. That, that is one of my faves, and and I, I did write down. Um, I, I did write down just in case you asked me. Unfortunately, you haven't. But the I irony is, um, I wrote down Doctor Sub three hundred T with a Nakamarine dial, um, which is quite quite spooky because you were talking about the two hundred. So there you go, Ma Mark. <laughs> with like two pieces of the pot, what's going on? Here? Yeah, it's, it's we genuinely. I, I feel bad that I didn't. I feel bad that I didn't give that. You had to. You had to bring that up yourself. Sorry, I was about to ask you, and then I thought, oh no, I won't. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he don't, I don't want. I've asked you enough questions, but no. So it, Great, it, it's fine. I, I thought I, I would get that out. But so, Love Mike, it. 
thank you. So Mike Christensen, yeah. European Lifestyle Idea from GQ, thank you so much for your wonderful insights. Thank you for your time. Oh, pleasure, um, Mark. It's been really a, a, a pleasure to meet you. Um, yeah, you too. And I'll, I'll just thank you very much. And um, check into our, our websites, Goldsmiths Mapping Web, uh, Watches of Switzerland in the UK, or Mayers Jewelers and Watches of Switzerland in the US. There's a, a fund of information there. Um, uh, for all your all your watch knowledge pleasure uh, and uh, also check out gq and, and await the, the watch supplement which sounds as though to be fantastic yeah i hope so i hope so thank you and uh, yeah i couldn't um really appreciate your time it's been great to to catch up and um yeah excited as i said always always never a dull moment of my watches so very excited to have been on this, this this podcast thank you thank you thank you thank you mike Thank you for listening to the Calibre podcast. We do hope you enjoyed it. Please do subscribe and listen to other episodes on Apple Podcast and Spotify.